In the gospel reading we just heard, we have a rich young man who comes to Jesus and he asks him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Obviously, this is something that's bothering him. He's, it's weighing on his mind. He wants eternal life. He wants the life that God talks about. Obviously, it's one component of that is, is that life which continues on after death. Uh, but another component is just the quality of life that God uh, has prepared for us and promises us as we, as we follow his commandments. And so Jesus answers him, well, first of all, why do you call me good? No one is good save God alone. He's kind of, I think, get, prompting the young man to kind of reflect on, like, why are you asking me this? Uh, well, think about what authority I actually have here to answer your question and what that might mean for the answer to the question. Uh, and then he says, you know, the commandments. Uh, and he lists, you know, some of the basic commandments that, uh, that, that cover our interactions with one another um, uh, on, on a general daily basis. You know, uh, honor your father and mother, don't steal, all those, all those sorts of commandments. And, and the young man says, all these, have, all these have I kept from my youth. What more do I need? And the interesting thing here is that, uh, well, I think I always find interesting is that Jesus doesn't contradict him. He doesn't say to him, well, no, I mean, have you ever, uh, and, and this is even from his own teachings, he might well do so. You know, have you ever, ever says you shall not commit adultery, but have you looked at a woman and, and lusted after her in her heart? He doesn't go there. He simply accepts at face value what this young man has done. And I think there's um, a couple of reasons for this. Uh, one of which is, is that he wants to get to the heart of the matter, which is what's coming later, coming up later. But the other is, this man was a honest, upright, good person who had followed the law. I mean, and then in another version of this story, it says he looks at him and he loves him. This is a good person, someone who is following the law. And I want to pause here and just kind of dig in a little bit to the law, because one of the things I, I love about, well, about Orthodox Christianity, uh, but, uh, but this goes all the way back to the very beginning of our history, which ties right in, thanks to us being grafted in, to the history of the people of God, uh, the, the Israelites, the children of Abraham, and, and, and the, the, the law that Moses gave. The law that God gave to his people was good, and it was an entire way of life. And that's one of the things I love about, as I say, Orthodox Christianity. This is a way of life. It encompasses every aspect of our daily lives. And one of the things I love about sort of going back and reading the Old Testament law, even though, you know, some aspects of it, the ceremonial law doesn't really apply to us. There's lots of really, really practical, uh, just sort of daily life kind of things in the law, lots of tools that are given to us in the same way that we often talk about 
some, some of the spiritual disciplines that are given to us as Orthodox Christians. So the law gave people tools to deal with how to be a good person, how to love one another, how to go about the daily business of just interacting with one another and, and, and getting along. And in, the, in, in this case, obviously, one of the key things that this young man is struggling with is his wealth. And the law actually has quite a bit to say about money. Uh, there's, there's at least two major things that, that are in the law, which actually still apply today, uh, which, uh, which are, are, were given to the people of Israel to sort of say, okay, actually, there's more than two things. There's also the year of Jubilee. I'm not going to get into the year of Jubilee. That's really cool, but, but uh, that'll take me too far afield. <laughs> um, but there's, there's all sorts of things in the, in the law about how to, to use your money. And the two main things that I want to focus on, which, which, which do still apply to us today, are the uh, uh, are, are almsgiving. Uh, and and here this should be familiar with us uh, to us because uh, we, when whenever we start a fasting period we talk about um, uh, fasting prayer and almsgiving and how they go together those three things always need to go together we, as as soon as we start fasting we should also be renewing our rule of prayer and renewing our commitment to giving alms that is to say doing good to anybody that you have the opportunity to do good to. So if you, if you have an opportunity, if somebody comes along and uh, it's not just like the person on the street who's like, please give me some money, that, that's also almsgiving, but anybody where you have, you have the power and the opportunity to do good, uh, then this is something that we are called to do. Uh, but the other thing that is there in the law, which again is, is, is still very applicable today, is, is tithing. The, the Israelites, uh, when they were kind of formed as a people, uh, were divided at that time into 12 tribes. Well, depending on how you calculate, there's also Ephraim and Manasseh, who are the sons of Joseph. It gets complicated, but basically 12 tribes of Israel. And then one of those tribes was taken out and dedicated to God, the Levites, uh, the, the sons of Levi. And they were the ones who were devoted to the service in the temple. That meant that they didn't have any kind of inheritance within the, in, within, in the terms that all the rest of the Israelites had. Uh, so that meant they didn't have land. Uh, they didn't have uh, stuff that they could hand down from, from generation to generation. They were entirely dependent on the rest of the people of God for their livelihood. And that way they were also able to devote themselves entirely to the service of God. And, and so as uh, as kind of a part of making sure that this group of people who were dedicated to the service of God would be able to focus on that dedication, uh, the, the tithe was instituted. And the tithe was uh, a tenth of all that you made over the course of the year. So if you were a farmer, uh, the, which most of the Israelites were, uh, it, it generally took the case of the, the, the form of, okay, well, how much, how much grain did I plant? And then how much did I get? And let's take a tenth of that. And, oh, I'm, I'm a, or I'm a shepherd and I have all these sheep and the, let's give a tenth of the, of the flock to God. And th there's, there's all sorts of rules about, about the tithe and how to, do, how, how to calculate it and what to do if you ha want to redeem a part of your tithe. Uh, uh, um, 
probably my my current favorite, which I which which I just discovered as I was kind of reviewing for this, um, uh, is is how to how to actually like what you do with that tithe. Because once you've kind of calculated it all up, uh, then what you do with that tithe, that all that grain and all that all those all that livestock, the tenth of it that you've set aside for God is you take it down to the temple. And, uh, okay, so this part maybe doesn't apply directly to us, but, you, but, but it does by extension. You take it down to the temple, and if you can't, if you have too much, then what you do is you, um, you convert some of that into, well, you convert it all into gold. And then, again, this is, this is my favorite bit. Uh, you take the gold down, or or the or whatever your money down, and then you it actually says buy sheep or oxen or wine or strong drink or whatever you desire, whatever your heart desires, and then sit down and eat it with the Levites in the presence of God and rejoice. That's what you do with the tithe. I think that's really cool. Like you're 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 setting aside your time and uh, your the, this tenth of all that you have to go to the temple of God, sit down with the servants who serve in the temple of God and feast with them and rejoice. And it says, in this way, you will honor and fear the Lord your God. This is, this is um, and, and so this, when Jesus asks the young this, this young man about you know his observance of the law, I'm sure that this was a part of it, uh, and uh, and the thing about almsgiving and tithing is that they put they help to put money in its proper perspective for us, because we're now not simply thinking about money or our goods or our possessions in terms of ourselves and you know how much can i get out of this how much enjoyment can i get out of this what can i do with it how can it serve me we're thinking about it in terms of also in terms of god who gave us the ability to make money or to create these goods uh, uh um and and in terms of his people and in terms of fellowship with god how this uh, can and, and so it's a corrective, if you will, uh, so that we have a, a, a better, fuller, broader, more complete understanding of what money and goods are really all about, where they come from, what their purpose is. And that includes rejoicing. It includes having uh, really enjoying them, uh, but and, and enjoying them in the context of the community of the people of God and the servants of God. Um, so, but one thing about these disciplines, if you will, so these, these, these practices as spiritual disciplines is that if you have a lot of something, it tends to undermine that positive effect. So this guy, this, this rich young guy, I'm sure he was doing the tithe. He was doing what, what the law prescribed. But he felt that it wasn't enough. Something was missing. 
and so and so Jesus being with his amazing insight of course being God uh, into this man's soul into 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 what he needs his problem gives him a prescription he says take all that money that is burdening you you know you, you the, like the, the tithe just isn't enough in this case uh it's it's, it's not doing its job you're, you're feeling this lack so take all of it all your goods sell them give them to the poor and come and follow me then you will have treasure in heaven now the tragic part of this story is that the rich young ruler, despite the fact that he, you know, this is this is what he wanted. Uh, this is despite the fact that he addresses Jesus as good, doesn't maybe reflect on it quite as deeply as Jesus is calling him to reflect on. Doesn't really quite get to the 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 the, the heart of the matter. Who is this man that he's asking this question of? Well, we know, of course. He's God made flesh. He has the authority to, to ask this. He, and, and, and to do this is to, in fact, fulfill that whole purpose of the tithe, which is to say you're, you're, you're giving it away to those who need it, and you are sitting down in the presence of God and rejoicing in that presence. It fulfills the entire purpose of the tithe. Um, but maybe he didn't quite get that. Maybe he didn't quite really reflect on who Jesus really was or what he really was thinking when he called Jesus good. Or uh, the, the, certainly uh, the one, one huge factor which the Gospels relate is that he just had a lot of money. And it was really, really like this was his security. This was what he was relying on. This was what he was counting on to keep him safe, to keep him happy, to keep him fed, uh, to, to basically, this is what he was counting on for his life. And it was just too much. And he went on his way and he, he, he knew that this is what he needed to do. He went on his way sorrowful, you know, very sorrowful because he was very rich and he couldn't do it. And the disciples are actually kind of shocked. They're standing there thinking about this and thinking, wow, this is a really good guy. This is a guy who is in kind of Old Testament terms. He is blessed by God. All these riches were seen by the Jews as a blessing from God. And if this guy can't get it together, Who can be saved? And especially when Jesus says, you know, actually, he, he looks at him, at, at the young man going away, and he's sad. And he says, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now the, now, and, and as, now the disciples' minds are really blown. Like, this, this, like who can be saved? This is impossible. And it is when we actually think about, you know, what God asks of us 
and our willingness to give it. It's kind of impossible. We're actually a lot more like the rich young ruler than we really want to acknowledge. Because in our case, it might not be riches, but there's always something. There's always something that we want to hold on to, that we really don't want to give up to God. There's always something that we're holding back. So in some sense, in that sense, in the sense that the only way to experience eternal life, this fullness of life that God has called us to, is to give everything over to him. Acknowledge that everything that we have comes from him. Everything that we have belongs to him. Uh, and, and, and to be willing to give whatever he asks of us, to be able to be in his presence and to sit there and rejoice. That's actually really hard to do. But Jesus goes on to say, you know, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Fortunately, we have a God who loves us, who is continually reaching out to us, who is continually sacrificing himself for us. And so, he is the one who reaches down to us. He is the one who continually reminds us that what he is calling us to is life. He wants us to have life and to have it abundantly. He wants us to go and take that tithe, even of what we are offering to him, and use it. Go and buy whatever you like with it and and feast in his presence. This is what he's calling us to, this richness of life. And in his grace, he and his love and his mercy, he makes this way of life possible for us. We get glimpses of it. Basically, the more that we invest in the church, in the services, in the community, in one another, the more we realize the fullness of the life that God has called us to. I think that's why uh, Pascha is just so absolutely mind-blowing when we, when we finally get there. You know, we, here we've, we've invested 40 days plus in fasting, in prayer, in almsgiving, we've invested time and energy in coming together and worshiping together. And then at the very end of that whole long journey, we are sitting there feasting together, bringing whatever our hearts desire into the presence of God, in, into the community of, of those who are called to be His and rejoicing. That's what it's all about. That is what God is calling us to. And in his mercy and his love, he's made it as, 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 as easy as possible. It's still not easy. It's hard. But he's made it as, he's given us this foretaste. And he's revealed to us the joy that, he, that is set before us. And, he, and he's calling us into that joy to live on a daily basis.
day by day. It's a way of life. A way that God calls us to, which is joy and gladness and peace and love. That's worth at least 10%, if not our whole lives, that we might be with him and rejoice with him and with one another in his, in his glory, the glory of the Father and of the Son of the Spirit, now and ever into ages of ages.